Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hi again, dear friends. Thanks for joining us today on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. I'm your host, John Russin. I'm here with my dear friend and partner in arms, Frank Friedman. Pastor Frank, how are you doing today, my friend? We're doing pretty good, John. South Louisiana is not hot and humid right now. Wow. You must have caught the one good day of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, friends, if you've just joined us, uh, you've caught us in the middle of our current series that we're entitling The One Another's Life in the Body of Christ. And it's about what kingdom living on earth should look like. Now, I know we're going to be painting some ideal pictures, but from scripture, this is what kingdom living looks like on earth. And the first few episodes, we talked about uh, showing humility to one another. That was a a very good conversation with Frank. Prefer one another and greet one another. But this week, my friend, we're going to get down to the trenches a little more deeply. And we're going to begin with be kind to one another. That's a tough one, isn't it, Frank? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Yeah, you know, John, you just think about our busy world. Uh, Being kind can take a little bit of time. And sometimes so busy, our minds don't even think about it because we've just got so much to accomplish. And throw in the flesh and the power of the sin, which is very self-serving. And uh, kindness, I think, my friend, will stick out like a sore thumb in this fallen world. Indeed. Well, listeners, we get this command. And remember, they're all commands. These are not suggestions or encouragements. They're in the imperative. So they're commands. And this is Ephesians 4, 32. It's be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Frank, Wow, what an example, because for how many things has Father forgiven you, Frank? I can think of at least two or three. (laughs) Hundred, two or three hundred thousand. (laughs) Yeah, you know, the point is for every sin. And when we ask Frank, how many times has Father forgiven us? He's forgiven us once for all. So he has toward us a mindset of forgiveness, Now, I bring that up because I think, my friend, we need to spend just a little time to talk about forgiveness because it is the template, the pattern for what our kindness is to model. So I want to begin by asking you a question about forgiveness. What is it? And you just got a few minutes. Okay. Uh, John, before we even go there, can I make a quick response to what you said about being this commands? And you did use a word. You said should. I I think that there's a great misunderstanding in the grace community that ought, should, must, and have to are bad words, evil words. Uh, They can be, 
if we're using those words to say that we have to do those things to acquire merit or uh, put uh, Jesus points on our account before God, though those words would be wrong in that instance. But when we use the word should, ought, or must in accordance with our identity, uh, those are actually good words because we should live according to who we are. And, you know, if we are the, the, the life of Christ in us, if we're in union with Christ, we should live like who we are. And so it would be wrong to be unforgiving. It would be wrong to be harsh and critical because it's not who we are. So we need to be careful. You know, I think when you say those words should, John, a lot of people listening might go, wait a minute, is this a grace broadcast or not? <laughs> um, I hope that was a good rabbit trail. No, no, I, I understand <laughs> what you're saying entirely. But uh, to me, when scripture puts something in the imperative, uh, it's a command. Yeah. So we're not always going to feel like being kind. In fact, just this morning, I didn't feel very, very much like being kind. Right. But, you know, sometimes scripture doesn't really care how I feel because I have been recreated as a kind person in the image of Jesus. Right. So kindness is part of who he is. So kindness is part of who I am, too. And so if I really want to live in accordance with who Father has recreated me to be, I will choose as an act of my will to submit to him and to act kindly. Right, because that's who you are. That's right. And, you know, when I look at commands, John, uh, there are two ways, I think, in which they function in the New Testament. One is that they are issues of identity. You know, when he says, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Well, of course not. You're not a thief and you're not an adulterer. And I think the second way those commands function is as promises. Because in 1 Thessalonians 5, God says, faithful is he who calls you and he will do it. So when he calls you to not steal, calls you to not commit adultery, he himself provides the life, the power to do what he's called you to do. So I think we look at commands uh, that way and not so much as something we muster up in our own resources or to try to be somebody that we're not. So I think that's a very important point to make. Well, let's get back to your question and your statement about kindness also being very intimately tied to forgiveness. And you asked, what is forgiveness? Let me just say two quick thoughts and then you can take it from there. The normal word in the Greek New Testament for forgive is the word aphiomi. And what it means is to release a debt. Uh, there's God calling. He says, everybody pay attention to this one. <laughs> but um, it means to release a debt. And that's what we're called to do because that's what God did for us. He canceled all our debt uh, that we owed to the law that we had broken when we sinned. And that's right out of Colossians 2. He canceled the debt, the ordinance of writing that was against us that said guilty, guilty, guilty. That's wonderful. Uh, but the word he uses in Ephesians 4, the passage you just quoted, is very different. It's actually the word 
charizomai, which the root word is charis, and it means grace. So fascinating when you put those two words together. All of our debt has been forgiven. So who are we to hold debt against others? And that's right out of Matthew. Remember when Jesus told that story of the man who'd been forgiving much, but then wouldn't forgive the guy who owed him a little. And then that second thought, forgive one another as you've been forgiven, grace them as you've been graced. Give them what they don't deserve, just like you got what you didn't deserve. And that's a key point because a lot of our struggle to forgive is we're saying these people deserve to be taken to the woodshed for what they did to me. And we forget that we were the ones that should have been taken to the woodshed too. Yes, indeed. As much as I don't like to admit it, uh, that's very true. Wow. So the word kind, my friend, if you look to the Greek and you define it, it's exactly what, you, what you'd expect it to be. It means pleasant, tender, benevolent. And these are two of my favorite ways it's translated, to be helpful, to mm. be useful. So kindness is not, it's not just an attitude. It's an action word. It's mm. your, you have an attitude of kindness that translates into actions. So mm. it's not only thinking kindly, it's doing kindly. And boy, my friend, doesn't that sound so opposite of what the world, um, <laughs> my goodness, of the way the world treats us and how it defines kindness? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. John, if you look at uh, just the news and you watch, you know, people that, uh, get knocked down or on the streets of a major city getting um, abused or uh, getting on a subway, for example, and there's a little old lady and nobody lets them sit down. In our culture, it's, it's almost every man for himself. And that's why we said at the beginning, kindness will stick out like a sore thumb. And the two passages of scripture that popped in my brain as you were giving those definitions, uh, benevolent, kind-hearted. I thought of the prodigal. And, you know, the father in that story had every right to berate that son, to discipline that son, to put that son under a repayment plan uh, to pay back what he had taken. And yet that father gave him the family credit card and said, the rest is yours too. Amazing. Uh, and when I think of that, I think of that verse in Romans, it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It's the kindness of God. Goodness and kindness melt people's hearts. Uh, when they are the recipient. And the other passage that popped in my brain is listening to those definitions, John, was the Good Samaritan and how all those religious people pass by that man who had such great need. And it was the outcast, the shunned man. 
the man who didn't fit in the religious community, the Samaritan who demonstrated kindness and took care of that poor man that had been beaten up and shamed, really, uh, those people who claimed to know God. You know, you mentioned the Samaritan, Frank, and talk about kindness as an action word embodied in that person. Uh, you mentioned this earlier, that kindness sticks out like a sore thumb because it takes time. It requires that we slow down, that we take our eyes off ourselves, that we consider one another. And this is the tough part, that we choose as an act of our will to treat them better than they deserve, treat them better than we might treat ourselves. But it's so difficult to do because we are just so busy. Mm -hmm. uh, the world tells us busy, busy, busy. We're supposed to be multitasking on all these different arenas and, and texting while we're talking, while we're driving, while we're parenting, while we're working. And the thought that came to my mind is that uh, we're focused so much on the task and satisfying the task than we are on experiencing and enjoying the journey. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll be honest, my friend, that's where I have struggled through much of my career. My positions have been strongly task focused. I've been measured by uh, successes in the tasks that I was assigned. And oftentimes uh, people would just get in the way sometimes mm -hmm. of, of getting those tasks done. But kindness takes our eyes off the tasks and puts it on the journey, which includes everybody around us. Oh, yeah. You know, as I'm listening to you, John, I think of the words of Jesus when he said, you know, I was in prison, you visited me, I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. And then the disciples said, wait a minute, when did we ever do that to you? And he said, when you give that drink of water to someone else, you've done it to me. But we don't think like that. You know, you said you're guilty of missing a lot of those opportunities. I have been too. Uh, I know that I have just missed so many opportunities just to speak a kind word, to take a few minutes, uh, to even lose more than a few minutes to have an opportunity to encourage somebody. I was gently encouraged <laughs> <laughs> by my church administrator years ago. And she just challenged me and said, you know, I know you don't like meetings and I really don't. There's so much on the plate I'd rather be doing. She says, but you're not there even though you're there. And what you need to do is take that opportunity, the meetings, to be there to the staff and let them know you're there for them. And those were really good words. And uh, I've tried to do that. And it's just like today, John, uh, I was meeting with someone and it's an unfortunate situation for them. And I tried to help them understand uh, legal issues of which I'm not a lawyer, but I've had to deal with people for 40 years and you do pick up things along the way. 
And I encouraged them to go to their attorney. And there was still quite a bit of confusion. And at the end, and please, John, when I say, you know my heart when I say this, it's not the pat on the back. But I looked at this person, saw their confusion and said, would you like me to go with you when you meet with your attorney? And <laughs> I got to admit, afterwards I was going, why did you ask that? <laughs> but instantly they looked at me and said, you would do that? And there's just an example where kindness is just going to knock that person out of their shoes. And I said, yes, I would do that for you. And boy, if you just took that and multiplied it by the millions of believers in this world, that we would take the opportunity and the initiative to be kind when an opportunity is presented to us, I believe we'd revolutionize the world. And like the old saying says, we'd be preaching Christ without saying a word. Yeah, that's so true. You know, Frank, the world realizes this. They, they know it when they see it. Uh, for our listeners, we are recording this during the time where, when we celebrate the birth of the Savior, Christmas time. And so this time of the year, we're supposed to be showing holiday spirit and, and joy to the world. And uh, so we realize that we need to show this level of kindness. But we tend to confine it to a few narrow periods of time, because God forbid we should be kind all year, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so we send kind cards with kind thoughts uh, uh, at, the, at the birth of the Savior. And then uh, there used to be a, a thing, Frank, some years ago called Random Acts of Kindness. I remember there were books oh, yeah. published. There were books published, random acts of kindness, just page after page of, of kind things you can do. And it was quite the rage. Yes, it was. No, it really was. I forget what it was decades ago. It was really quite the rage. But you know, my friend, it didn't last mm. because the motivation really wasn't rooted in God. Mm. It was rooted in mankind's efforts to do what they think they should but for which they didn't have the power to mm. satisfy. And mm. so now we've converted the random acts of kindness thought to, hey, pass it on, pay it mm. forward, you know? Mm -hmm. Because the tyranny of the urgent wins out for almost mm -hmm. all of us. Mm -hmm. uh, but the thing is that we have the resources, Frank. We of all people who are in the kingdom, we have the ability to be kind and to show kindness. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we are the only ones who can really pull it off, my friend, if we would just choose to stop and set our minds mm -hmm. on, on doing what's right. Yeah, because our random acts, quote unquote, are not part of a movement. They are the life that is within us. The kind one, the gracious one lives in us and he wants out. <laughs> he wants to express himself through us. And that is, as you said, we are transformed Romans 12 by the renewing of her mind, where we just realize who we are and what we are all about. I, I think of 
John 17, you remember in Jesus' high priestly prayer, he said, I do not pray, Father, that you would take them out of the world. That's an amazing thing to begin to ponder, John. Um, he wants us to be here, to stay here. Uh, why? Um, because we're his witnesses. We're his living letters, like the Corinthians said. We are his ambassadors, representatives of his kingdom. And so, you know, when you think of an ambassador, it's somebody who represents a foreign government as if they were that government leader. So we present Christ to them. And that needs to be a life that's kind and forgiving and uh, benevolent, as you said, and gentle. So powerful, powerful truth, very simple. And yet at the same time, John, so profound and so powerful in terms of influencing the lives of others to contemplate Christ for themselves. You know, Frank, you mentioned that uh, kindness sticks out like a sore thumb in this world. It's because the world is filled with unkindness and we will be the recipients of that unkindness. You know, the world and the people in it will constantly be unkind to us. And so it really, it's a form of suffering because mm -hmm. we're not created to be anything but recipients of kindness. And so it's really a suffering for us uh, to mm -hmm. have people treat us unkindly. But when I think of that, uh, I quickly jump past the, at the idea that, well, I deserve better than this. And then I think of my Savior. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, of what the writer of the Hebrew says, that he learned obedience through the things he suffered. I mean, of all the people who deserved kindness on this mm. earth, it would be our big brother, our savior, Jesus. And yet through the unkindness and the suffering that he faced, uh, he learned obedience to his father. He learned mm. how to listen. He learned how to trust. And he learned how to respond with kindness Mm. Uh, because he certainly didn't have much in the way of example, uh, mm -hmm. as we all don't. Mm -hmm. uh, without God in us, we really have no example of what kindness looks like. And so this is our template right there to walk through a painful, suffering world, mm. take the blows, and then evidence the love and forgiveness and kindness of our Father in how we act and how we respond when treat us, people treat us unkindly. Because mm. it's not only the proactive acts of kindness, like hey, saying hi to people mm. and opening the door and acknowledging by name the checker at the grocery store, things like that. Mm -hmm. Returning the grocery carts. It's how we respond when people treat us unkind. Mm. You know, that to me, is the real litmus test. And that's where the rubber met the road uh, with Jesus. Yes, John, I'm glad you brought up that idea of proactive to the negative. Like you said, Jesus learned obedience. And I, I know you referenced that. He learned to listen to his father's voice. That's really what that Greek word 
obedience means. You know, I think uh, many, many Christians are confused that when they hear the word obedience, they think there's this code, now conform your life to that code. Christianity is not an external code. It's a life. It's a relationship. And the Greek word is hupakuo, and it means to listen under. So as Jesus suffered things, he learned to listen to his father's voice. And as the father spoke to him, he lived. And that's the same way it is for us. And we have to be honest. I mean, that's one thing we want to be, you and I, in this podcast. I'm learning this. I have not learned it. Um, my flesh, when people are unkind to me, uh, a lot of times my flesh wants to slap them in Jesus' name. and Because <laughs> they deserve it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, how don't they know who they're hurting? Uh, but as I am learning to listen to my father's voice and responding instead of reacting, those are powerful words, responding instead of reacting. I'm in that same school that Jesus was in and learning to be kind to those who are unkind. Not easy, a journey, a battle, but it's the school we are all in as believers, uh, learning to live a radical life. Okay, my friend, I want to take this thought a little deeper. We've been talking about doing kind things, acts of kindness. But if you really pick this verse apart, it doesn't say do kind things to one another. It says be kind. Recognize that there's a part of your identity in Christ that is kindness. Mm. So elaborate on that, my friend. What is the difference between being kind and just doing kind things? Uh, that's a big question. Well, I think, again, come back to what we said earlier, it's not when we are doing kind things that we as Christians are exercising our will to follow a code of kindness. No, that's not, that may work for the person that bumps into you in the hallway. Uh, that's not going to work with the person who just, uh, really deeply wounded your child. It's different. Um, those acts, that conformity to a code is gonna implode when somebody does something on the more serious side. Whereas being kind is a, a reference to who you are. You are in union with the kindest person in the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's not a matter of trying to do something. It's a matter of releasing his life, which is in union with your life. And that will be radical. John, I had this pop in my mind. Uh, you know the story uh, when our littlest girl was in ICU, a doctor overdosed her with a med and put her in cardiac arrest. Um, he showed up while she, they were working on her to keep her alive. And he saw me in the hallway and he said, what's going on? And I said, the medicine you gave her. 
And he went in and he came out about a half hour later. And again, to his credit, what an amazing man. He said, it's my fault. Uh, you know, he could have tried to pass the buck to the nurses or, you know, hid or something. But he said, it's my fault. I was in a hurry and I miscalculated the dose and I gave her five times what she was supposed to have and put her in cardiac arrest. So John, if I'm trying to follow a code of being kind right there, uh, my attempt would have imploded and I would have put his head through the wall. But in union with the kind one, walking with a little tiny bit of faith, I said, I love you and I forgive you. And I hugged him. And then I said, forget about us, go make her better. Um, for months and even years, as you know, John, there was a hospital that buzzed about the great faith of that couple. And we call BS on that. That was not great faith at all. It was a little tiny scream of help to a great God who responds to mustard seed faith. And he expressed his kind, forgiving life through people that in their own resource wanted to put that man's head through a wall. And that's what that was. That was the glory of the radical life of Christ expressed to an unkind world, an undeserving world, uh, through a little tiny mustard seed faith. That's, I think, what we're talking about when we say doing kind deeds versus being kind, recognizing through the, re the renewing of our mind that we're never alone, never unloved, never without the resource. And he stands ready to do far beyond, as Ephesians says, what we could ask or think if we would exercise that mustard seed faith. Yeah. Kindness, my friend, you know this verse. Kindness saved us, Titus 3. Mm. Kindness of God leads us to repentance. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, when I think of these, I just think of this this, this cloud of kindness that, we're, <clears throat> that we wrap ourselves in because of, us, because of who we are. And then I think about evangelism. I know we're changing the subject here a little bit, but I think some of your comments about how you treat people really fit into our method of evangelism in the church. Mm -hmm. I know that uh, a lot of people use fear. I was saved. Uh, by reading the late great planet Earth, which basically scared the hell out of me, literally. <laughs> and so fear works sometimes, but I don't see scriptures and I don't read in scripture examples of how fear motivates someone to salvation. So maybe, my friend, we should rethink our method of evaluation and just simply focus on being kind. I'm sorry, evangelism. I said the wrong word. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I see that, John. You know, it is interesting. In Proverbs, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Mm 
but then like in first John four, it talks about love and that we walk in love, the same <laughs> love that the father showered upon us. And if we don't have love, uh, maybe we don't really know God the way we say we do. So I kind of say this, you know, the fear of God is kindergarten. Uh, but the love of God, the kindness of God is graduate school. And, you know, when, when I look at various churches and I see the fear tactic and the hellfire, the brimstone and the, the judging and the condemning, and then those churches say, hey, you want to join us? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, but when the body of Christ would function in the love, the kindness, you want to join us? Yeah, that's kind of what my heart is longing for, a place to belong, a place to be accepted, a place that would uh, know all my warts and still want to love me and be kind to me. If we just look at Jesus in the Gospels, John, the crowds followed him. Why? Because they'd never met such a one who was full of love, full of kindness, full of mercy, full of grace. And, you know, I think that's what all of us as human beings really long for in the depths of our heart. So, yeah, I think our evangelism really ought to be more about leading people to God and letting them see the true goodness of God in our own lives as a testimony. Yeah. And you know, Frank, there's a lesson in there for us when we approach other members of the body of Christ uh, who have differing opinions on a number of very polarizing social issues in the church. Abortion, abortion, euthanasia, homosexuality, women's roles in the church, all these are splintering and dividing and polarizing people. And there are lots of reactions within the body to some of these ideas. But what I don't see among any of these reactions and positioning and chest thumping is a spirit of kindness, a spirit of accepting them without necessarily accepting their beliefs or their practices. Uh, to me, that's, that's where kindness is desperately needed in the body of Christ today. Yeah, I think what happens with most people, John, as I'm just listening to you, is when we enter into these discussions, as we could call them, or debates, uh, our goal many times, unfortunately, is to defeat the person of the opposite view, when our true goal, I think, biblically should be to win them to truth. And uh, I think of Isaiah 118, it's one of my favorite verses. It says, come, let us reason together. You know, it doesn't say, come, let's put on the gloves, beat the hell out of each other and see who wins. Mm -hmm. uh, In so, Jesus' name. <laughs> yeah. So we're not to function as prosecuting attorneys. Uh, we're to function as advocates for truth and advocates for people and put those two together as we seek to 
discuss these things with them. That's right. And our command is not to convince them. Our command is to show supernatural kindness to them. Because when we don't, if you read further out of this passage, Frank, we don't, we're quenching the spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're not showing kindness, it's, it's not, well, that's just who I am. I don't feel like being kind today. No, it's scripture's plain. It's sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in 2 Corinthians 6, Paul lists things that commend us as servants of God. And he says things like this, patience, kindness, and love. You know, we tend to think, Frank, that uh, degrees and seminary and great teaching and good counseling all of these commend us as servants of God. Paul will have none of that. Mm-hmm. It's patience, kindness, and love. Mm-hmm. And my friend, that is, that's the yardstick mm-hmm. for how, how much of Christ's life is flowing through us when we evidence patience and kindness and love, just as the smartest guy in the world, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6. You know, mm. what an example for us, my friend. What a, you know, what a yardstick. And it, mm-hmm. we don't have to try to measure up because that's who we are. We mm-hmm. just have to stand aside and let God uh, empower mm-hmm. us to live these things to others. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would just add one thought as we kind of wrap this up. I know time's getting near. We present truth to people. And we want to do that as best we can. And by faith, we want to live the truth that we're presenting. But we cannot convince anyone of the truth. That's the revealer's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And I think what happens to us, John, is when we do slip into trying to convince people, our methodology of love and kindness will begin to dissipate because then it becomes an issue of winning and winning means somebody has to lose. So we should never forget it's, there's a revealer and it's his job, not ours to open the eyes. Amen. Well, my friend, we've certainly jumped into the trenches today. Who would have thought that five words, be kind to one another can connect to so many avenues in our Christian walk. Any last words today before we wrap this up? By faith. That's it. It's by faith. This is not something we work up. It's something we express by faith. Amen. Well, friends, thanks for listening to us today on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. We've been talking about the one another's, uh, our take on life in the body of Christ. Uh, If you've liked what you heard, uh, please check out our website, OurResoluteHope.com. We've got some new stuff there, including a clever animation that we think you'll like. It's called The Really Great News. Uh, Please also pop us an email, sign up for our newsletter. Let us hear from you in some way. Uh, Sign up on our members portal. It's free and you can get some stuff there from the vault of Pastor Frank that uh, isn't generally available. We've got a number of books available on Amazon, including our newest Uh, Finding God in the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. And of course, don't forget to follow us on all of our social media platforms. And as always, we close with this reminder from Hebrews chapter 6, that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. 
Peter calls it a living hope. Frank and I, well, we call it our resolute hope, a steadfast, immovable, bedrock kind of hope. That hope is Jesus. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.